0: I keep the ends out for the tie that binds Because you're mine I walk the line We're here in victory lane awaiting the race results. McQueen, that was quite a risky move, not taking tires. Tell me about Are it. Are you sorry you didn't have a crew chief out there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Cory, there's a lot more to racing than just winning. I mean, taking the race by a full lap? Where's the entertainment in that? No, no. I wanted to give the folks a little sizzle. Sizzle. And am I sure I don't have a crew chief? No, I'm not. Cause I'm a one-man show. What? Oh yeah, right. That was a very confident Lightning McQueen coming to you live from Victory Lane. Hey, get out of the shot. Yo, Chuck. Chuck, what are you doing? You're blocking the camera. Everyone wants to see the bolt. What? Now back away. Ah, that's it. Come on, guys. Oh, whoa, team. Where are you going? We quit, Mister One-Man Show. Oh, 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 okay. Leave. Fine. <laughs> How will I ever find anyone else who knows how to fill me up with gas? Adios, Chuck. Whatever. McQueen has a problem. And it's not just pride. It's a couple of twins. And no, it's not me and Tia, if you've seen the movie. It's a couple of twins. They're beautiful, but they can be seductive. Beautiful, but they can be seductive. But if they're in the right place, they're beautiful and they benefit life a couple of twins twins are Ima and Yura Ima and Yura. McQueen has a problem with the Ima and Yura he has problems with these beautiful seductive twins who's Ima and Yura? well I'm a pastor I'm a father I'm a son I'm a husband I'm a soccer official I'm a staff person at likes country what are you? Who are you? Yura. See what ends up happening is when they they're beautiful, but they're also seductive. They become seductive when they become our identity. When Ima and Yura become our identity, they've become seductive and they've found the wrong place in our life. See, whatever fills the blank of Ima is a role. Is a role. And whatever fills the blank of Yura is a role. When I'm and Yura become our identity, when we allow our roles to become our identity, they found the wrong place in our life. But the roles that we have are beautiful. They have a place. So what's the, what's the relationship between our identity and our roles? Our identity is the core of who we are. Our role simply flows out of our identity. If we allow our role to flow out of our identity, then they're beautiful and they're in the right place. But if we allow our role to become our identity... See, if I allow my role as a teaching pastor here at Crosspoint to become my identity, then it's become seductive and I hold that so tight that there's a certain image, there's a certain identity that I have to uphold. And when we allow our I am as in your to become our identity, see, we are a different person in whatever role we have. When we're here, we're different. When we're here, we're different. When we're at church, we're different because we are now in the role of church person, Christian. But when we... Have one identity, when we allow our identity to tell us how we act and how we walk the line and then allow our role to simply serve our identity in the place that we have in this world, we're the same person no matter where we are. So what's our identity? If we're faithful followers, we're saints. That's our identity. And Paul wants us to walk the line and god wants us to walk the line of a saint remember therefore a prisoner for i a prisoner for serving the lord see paul's merely his role as a prisoner that's not his identity i beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by god and what's our calling our calling is to be a saint And, and and we now walk the line of being a saint and that's our identity and part of walking the line of being a saint is that we fulfill roles we have roles we're students. We're moms, we're dads. We fulfill roles in the marketplace, we have jobs. But we can't let that become our identity. McQueen allowed his role of being a superstar race car to become his identity. And so therefore, everybody else's identity was supposed to serve him. But when we have the identity right and our roles serve our identity, we can allow our identity to serve other people. And actually, uh, racing is a great way to, to, to um, great metaphor for it. Because we have the very, uh, we have the race car driver who is the face of the racing team. And they race the car and they go very fast. And that's, what every, that's who everybody sees. However, we have the pit crew, we have the crew chief, and we have spotters, we have this entire team. And, and, and a race car driver, when he has his identity right, he uses his identity, he leverages his identity and his role to serve the rest of his team. So therefore, the crew chief, he plots out the strategy. Now, the race car driver, he has input to the strategy, but the crew chief is the one that finalizes the strategy. And when the race car driver comes into the pits, he, he, he serves his pit crew by letting them determine, two tires or four, how much gas to put in. And the race car driver serves the spotter by allowing the spotter to tell him, you need to go high, you need to go low, you need to pass here, you need to hold back here. And if the race car driver doesn't serve and submit underneath the spotter, what does he do? He wrecks. Causes problems for everybody. We're going to be talking about submission, walking the line of submission. And and as Paul continues to go outward from our identity and, 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 and teach us how to live our life, he talks about the roles that we have in life. And he teaches us to submit. And submission, all submission is, is leveraging our identity to serve somebody else. And we do that through our roles. This is what Paul teaches us about. Starts in Ephesians 5:15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. See we we have an opportunity Paul says, make most of every opportunity in these evil days. And this verse is often used, you know, kind of hammer those outside the church. And the days are evil and we need to bunker in and we don't need to go out. and We don't need to do this and do that. And their days are evil. But what does Paul say? Make, we have an opportunity. What's the opportunity? We have an opportunity to live out the identity that we have as saints among people who don't have that identity, who don't live out that identity. So if we are living out the identity that we have as a saint among people who don't have that identity, that, 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 that don't care about God, we should look different. As Paul says in Philippians, that we should be shining stars. As Jesus said, we should be a light. We should look different. We have an opportunity to live as saints among a world who doesn't care about living as saints in order to show them what it looks like to be affected by God, to have God into our life and God working in our life. That's the opportunity that we have. And so Paul says, don't be a fool. And Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. Don't be a fool. We are fools if we don't take this opportunity. We're not wise if we don't take this opportunity. He says, don't walk thoughtlessly. Just don't just walk through life without thoughts. This is difficult. We all get into our days. We just all go about our days. And I go about my days. And, 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 and I don't think about the opportunity that's laid before me. And I don't think about the opportunity to live as a saint necessarily you know, in, in my mind all the time and to, 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 to advance the kingdom and, and the thought of bringing people into his kingdom. I don't have that thought. I walk thoughtlessly through many days. We have to train ourselves to think about this and to walk with thought about how we use our identity in order to serve other people. How do we use that? That's when Paul talks about our role. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Thanks, Paul. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Anybody find this kind of funny that Paul ties these two together? Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit as if they'll kind of look the same. Now, we're, we're Southern Baptist Church, and, and you know, I know several different backgrounds are here represented. A couple of things that you can usually never accuse Southern Baptists of, getting drunk or being filled with the Spirit. But Paul kind of associates the two here. And I think this might be kind of a tongue-in-cheek to Acts 2 where people out in the society were like, what's going on here? Maybe it's God. Maybe they're drunk. When the Holy Spirit came down on them and God was working in such a way they didn't have a category for it. The only category they have was they must be drunk. Have we ever been accused of being so filled with God that we're drunk? Put that on your bucket list, right? Goal. Be so filled with God, I look like I'm drunk. Maybe that might be a cool t shirt. But anyway. This is what Paul's associating with. But what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? And Paul keeps tying this out, our outward actions back to our identity. Last week, we talked about how we were supposed to put on the new self, the new identity, but... That new identity is in Christ, so we're really putting on Christ. And then he talked about how we're supposed to imitate the Father as children. And and, and so we see that Paul continuously cycles back to our identity. Now he's talking about filled with the Holy Spirit, and see how he's included all of the Trinity, all of the three persons of God into this, into our identity. Basically, he's saying the same thing with all three phrases Are we immersed with God? Does God so permeate our life that it makes a difference? Does God so permeate our lives that other people can, can tell the difference? So what does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Maybe we, have, uh, maybe we have stereotypes and thoughts, and some of us are like, oh my, where are we going? And some of us are like, oh yes, finally. But, but, but here, let's take a look at what the Bible says about f- being filled with the Holy Spirit. That we are singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among ourselves, and some translation says to each other, and making music to the Lord in our hearts. Like, be filled with the Spirit, and then starting, starts talking about singing, and then, like, talking about singing to each other. So, is this is like some sort of thing where we walk into church, and this all of a sudden becomes like Glee meets church, meets West Side Story, and we're like, And like, hello, how is your day? You know, I mean, what are we supposed to do with this? <laughs> no, no, Gideon. <laughs> but we've kind of been there. See, music fills our hearts. God uses music to fill us with his spirit. And then this thought occurred to me last night. Music is a big part of bars and getting drunk. What do we call that? Karaoke night, right? And it doesn't matter how bad you are; you sing at the top of your lungs. But then we come into a side of church, we're filled with the Spirit, and I'm like. I don't want anybody to hear me. And Paul's like, belt it out, baby. Because you're filled with the Spirit. And what's interesting is when we're filled with the Spirit, we'll belt it. And when we belt it, we become more filled with the Spirit. You've kind of experienced that. Maybe you come into church or whatnot, and we kind of have this kind of little little bitty spark of the Spirit, and, and we're not feeling great that day, and, and, and whatever. But then you start singing, and, and, and you allow yourself to be captivated and captured, and, 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 and you feel... Um, greater filling of the spirit so as we sing the last song here in you know a couple minutes or so allow yourself to just belt it out because we're filled with the spirit we don't really care because this karaoke night at cross point fellowship Actually, Dwight L. Moody, a a, a famous revivalist around after the time of the Civil War, he used music. In a time where people just step up and preach, he saw that bars utilized music and people were moved by that, so he brought that into the church, into into his revival services. So what if somebody came in that it would be like, you know what, last night I was in a bar, and man, this kind of looks like what we were doing last night, but these people are sober. They know what, they'll remember this tomorrow. What's different about this? When we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to make music to the Lord, and we're going to give thanks for, for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to give thanks in everything. Hard times, good times, highs and lows. We're going to give thanks to God in everything. Last night uh, we sat down a few, several weeks back, or maybe a couple months ago. The the kids made up prayer journals, and there's. They put pictures of different things all throughout the prayer journal. And and uh, boys asked if we could grab the prayer journals. And, and uh, they, they grabbed them, and each one of them picked something that they would pray for and, and, and everything. And, and Elijah wanted to pray for you know, nature. He's like, what do I pray for? I'm like, well, what happened to nature today? And he said, well, it, it rained. and like, what, what, can you, what can you pray for? And he's like, well, I can thank God for the rain. And in that moment, you kind of saw the spark of being filled with the Spirit through thankfulness. And it's hard for me to, to, to be thankful for stuff, mainly because I, I'm, I'm someone that always is moving forward. You've got to stop and pause and smell the roses to be thankful, you know? Uh, someone that's always moving forward. So, you know, pausing for me is a difficult uh, aspect of life. Um, and so, but when we're filled with the Spirit, we will be thankful. And when we're thankful we experience more of the Spirit. And it kind of snowballs and avalanches. But Paul doesn't stop there. There's one other aspect of being filled with the Spirit. And we've talked about it briefly already. This is what he goes into explanation about. And if we're filled with the Spirit, he says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to submit to one another. And submission is simply leveraging our identity to serve other people. And we do that through our roles. My role as teaching pastor is that I am leveraging my identity in order to serve you through this role. Right here. That's all I'm doing. That's it. Well, that's my goal anyway. And then Paul goes into six different areas or six different roles where we submit and yeah this has gotten a bad name bad rap stereotype but because it's been taken out of context it's been ripped out of context either us as a church has ripped it out of context to use it to beat people up with or our culture has ripped it out of context in order to say you know see those christians they're just so backwards and they're so old-fashioned and but no we've got to take it in its entire context so, Paul says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. As the church, what do we do? We submit to Christ. And what are do we doing when we submit to Christ? We say, I take my identity and I leverage it to serve you. I take my identity and leverage it to serve you. And, and, and Paul says, in the same way, wives submit to your husbands. And, and wives, all it is, is I take my identity and I leverage it to serve you through my wo- role of being your wife. I mean, come on, ladies. I mean, we're not talking about betrothal here. You chose the dude, right? I think. <laughs> Usually, you got yourself into the mess. Now you get yourself out by submitting, by leveraging your identity to serve your husband through your role. There's no fancy Greek. There's, no nothing, there's no nothing that we can draw out underneath the text that says anything different. It's pretty straightforward. But there's one thing we need to learn about submission. It isn't a slavery In fact, it is in rebellion that we find slavery. Anything God teaches us through His Word is for our freedom. Freedom! Right? It's for our freedom. Richard Foster, a guy that wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline, says this about submission. The freedom of submission is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. When we don't submit, what are we doing? Trying to get our own way and it's a terrible burden to have to get our own way it is slavery and it's something we're always constantly fighting against because of human nature and flesh and you know, we're, we're not dead yet so we're always struggling against that but submission is about, le- is, is about leveraging our identity to serve somebody else And through our difficult time of, of church planning and having that go belly up and then 18 months of trying to figure out what to do and am I supposed to be in ministry anymore and, 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 and am I supposed to just go back to school and figure out some other way. And Nicole continually submitted herself. Not because she felt obligated to. But simply just, she's like, no. You're supposed to be in ministry. We're supposed to come and find a church and, 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 and help a church and lead a church and be a part of a church that wants to see people come to know Christ who is far away from God. And we hung in there and we stuck through it and when 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 other women would have walked, she stayed. And we ended up here. And now he goes on to husbands. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. See, husbands are supposed to submit. We're supposed to submit as well. Remember Paul said, everyone submit. Everyone submit to one another. We're supposed to submit as well. Our submission, this is what it looks like. Our submission is die for our wives. So ladies, pick your poison. Would you like to submit or would you like to die? As a professor in college, a female professor in college, she's like, I don't know what the ho- all the hubbub is about. She's like, I got it way better than my husband. God's only told me to submit. He told my husband to die for me. And for some of us husbands, we might rather would take a bullet than serve in the day-to-day. We might rather take a bullet for our wife than to pick up our underwear for our wives. And if you took a bullet for your wife and you weren't willing to pick up your underwear for your wife, guess what she gets to come home to after you're dead? Your underwear on the floor. Then she's just reminded again how you didn't submit in the daily. But husbands, we are to sacrifice ourselves for our wives. So when we come home from a hard day work, is it about us? Or is it about serving our wives? And for me, for me, this is this isn't this isn't an amen section of scripture. This is an oh my or oh crap section of scripture. Like I read this and go, holy cow! I'm so far away from this. I'm so far removed from this and two weeks ago when we talked about maturity what did we talk about? this is a tinkering process this is something we're always tinkering this is always progressing always working on wherever you are just take a step to get better and maybe some of us need to repent go to our wives and wives to our husbands "I'm, I'm sorry I'm sorry help me know how to serve you better help me know what you need better so that I can serve you and submit. Fellas, we're supposed to leverage our identity to serve our wives to the roles of being a husband. And what does that produce? He is a savior of his body. Or um, I'm sorry, missed it. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. When Christ died for His church, He made her spotless and purified and holy and without blemish and without wrinkle. Husbands, is your wife holier because she's married to you? Is your wife spotless more, more spotless because she is married to you? Is your wife without blemish because she is married to you? Is your wife without wrinkle because she's I'm sorry, no, I shouldn't have gone there. Oh, backtrack, backtrack, backtrack. But husbands are we actively trying to make our wife more holy because we are married to her? I understand that Christ is the only one that can truly make us holy, but at the same time we can encourage and mature each other in holiness. And again, this is, this is an aspect where I go, man, I've failed Nicole at times here. I've spotted her instead of making her spotless. Guys, is our wife more holy because of our interaction and our relationship with her? That's our role. That's our role. For a man who, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Guys, you feed yourself you groom yourself care for yourself love for, love yourself the proof of that is how we love our wife if we are men who are unwilling to sacrifice for our wives then we are men who do not love ourselves the way we're supposed to and if we love ourselves the way we're supposed to we're going to sacrifice for our spouses it's just going to be. It's going to be that way. Yes, it's a thing that we're always tinkering and always getting better. But it's something that we have to make a decision on in our life. And we get to the point where our marriage is a picture of the gospel. Of how Christ and the church is unified into one. And our marriage points to the gospel because two people two sinful people are becoming one and the only way to become one is through mutual submission to each other and Paul has a little bit of insight into what makes guys and gals tick so I again I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband He knows what what a man and a woman want more than anything else. And he tells us a man wants more than anything else is respect. Is respect. And he knows that the lady, what the lady wants more than anything else is love. She wants a man, a knight in shining armor to come rescue her. Her prince charming to come get her. Men, are we sacrificing for her? Ladies, are we respecting him as if he is our Prince Charming? As as if he is our knight in shining armor? But you don't know. No, I don't. But there's no buts here. Paul's just like, submit. Sacrifice. And it's amazing. When we treat the other person the way we want to be treated, how that changes the other person. It's pretty amazing. And when we leverage our Ima to serve your Yura, it's amazing how beautiful that becomes. When I leverage my husband role to serve my wife's role, it's amazing how beautiful that becomes. When my wife use, leverages her wife role to serve my husband role, but we're using our identities to do it, it's amazing how beautiful that becomes. And i and you are in the right spot and they are beautiful, but they're not seductive. But when it's all about me, I'm the wife, I'm the husband. And so therefore I'm going to dictate to you exactly what you need to do You've been seduced by and yura They're beautiful, but they're seductive. And when you repent, we need to change. That's not the only roles that we submit through. It's not the only, only roles that Paul talks about. He says, Children, Obey your parents because you belong to the Lord for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth. <laughs> Paul's like, you know what? If you honor your father and mother, if you obey your parents, they're not going to kill you. Today we'd probably say, I brought you into this world. I'll take you out of it. I'm adopted. My dad said that once. It didn't really stand with me very well, but anyway. <laughs> and he's, and he's, he's here, like, I'll take you, I brought you into the world. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Kids, children, underneath a roof. Leverage your identity to serve your parents. Through the role of being a kid. And how you do that is through obedience, not rebellion. Now, our culture says what? Rebellion, right? But rebellion is the slavery. Because you have to remember the lie that you told. You have to remember uh, when your parents are going to be home so that you can do whatever you want to do. You, you have to remember all this stuff in order to rebel. But freedom comes through submission of just saying, I'm going to leverage my identity in order to serve my parents through the role of being a child what god wants that's what god wants from his saints that's what god wants from his faithful followers and so instead of saying i'm an american teenager so i'm going to take on that identity i say i'm going to take on the identity of being a saint and so through the role of being a child i am simply going to leverage my identity as a saint to serve my parents well what if my parents aren't christians even better even better because then you get to show them what a saint looks like inside of your own home even better. Well, if my parents are Christians, well, then you should because they know the Bible and they can hold it over your head. Anyway. But Paul doesn't just stop there. Paul doesn't just stop there. Fathers or parents, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Don't, don't, don't use what I have just said about children. Don't use that to squash them. Don't use that to put your finger over them. Don't use that to give yourself power and dictatorship. Don't provoke them to anger because you know what you'll do? You'll t- send them away from God. Maybe some of you have been there. Maybe some of you were there at one point in time that you say man i went away from god because my parents provoked me to anger we can't do that to our kids now this doesn't mean we don't hold them accountable for their actions the other night we were uh phil and michael and jack and i were standing in our driveway and our kids came out or the three ones that can walk the kids came out and 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 they were barefoot they were running down the sidewalk to the corner and uh, of course Elijah the fast and then Josiah and then Noah and what ends up happening is that Elijah is returning as he as Noah is getting to the corner and so we were laughing I, I told the guys that hey you know the only reason that Noah isn't body checking Elijah into the grass is because he just doesn't know how so we laughed about that haha and they went on but that night that night We got done praying and and everybody was starting to give hugs and stuff and, and Elijah was standing there and Noah ended up on the ground on his knees in front of Elijah and I saw the light turn on. I was watching and I saw the light turn on and Noah just goes, bing, yes, yes, right there and I held him accountable for his actions. We still keep our kids accountable for our actions. Remember, discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Discipline. But isn't the home a whole lot better when the children (coughs) leverage their identity to serve the parents through obedience and the parents leverage their identity to serve their children through instruction and discipline that comes from God instead of just, just provoking them to anger? And fellows and fathers and mothers, when we come home and we're tired and we're a bit on edge, are we serving our children even then? Are we getting upset at them just simply out of our own frustration and anger? We're just taking it out on them instead of discipling them and bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord. Isn't things much more beautiful in our home when that happens? I mean, I think our students would agree that it's much more beautiful and I think our parents would agree. And when we get to this place, I'm and you are beautiful and they're in the right place. Because as a kid, I'm a serving Eura, as a parent, and Ima as a parent, I'm serving Eura, as a kid. And then there's one more relationship that Paul talks about. Slaves, like oh, we don't deal with slavery today, you know. I'm not a slave, so therefore, no, we can apply this to employees and bosses. Slaves or employees, obey your earthly masters or bosses with deep respect and fear. Serve them with sincerity. Or sincerely, as you would serve Christ, try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. as slaves of Christ or as, as, as slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as long as you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Employees, are we leveraging our identity to serve our bosses and our workplace and our peers around us? Or are we just showing up to work? mailing it in are we showing up to work with enthusiasm are we just mailing it in are we leveraging our identity to serve those around us in the workplace and as vital as it is in our marriage and as vital as it is in our in our home and our parenting and our family not everybody in your workplace are christians This is the opportunity that Paul is talking about. When you go out to your workplace, take the opportunity to submit to those around you so that they can see what it looks like to be a saint, to to have peace inside of a workplace. Because why does workplace drama occur? Because we're unwilling to submit to each other, right? That's the whole reason that it occurs. No different than middle school, is it? Do we show up to work to leverage our identity to serve each other? Or do we show up to work to get our paycheck and go home? But again, he doesn't just stop at employees. Masters or bosses, treat your slaves the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven and he has no favorites. God could care less that you're the boss is what Paul is talking about. He could care less. God's not impressed. He rules the world. He's not impressed with you. (laughs) He's not impressed with me because I'm in leadership anywhere. He is the leader. He is the CEO. He's not really impressed with any of us nor our titles. So are we showing up to work if we're a boss and we lead people? Are we showing up to work in order to leverage our identity to serve those that are under us. Are we doing that? Are we doing that? Are we serving them? Are we giving them everything they need to succeed in their job? If your employees show up to work enthusiastically, do we squelch that enthusiasm by not giving them what they need because we think it's all about us and we don't serve them? Are we leveraging as bosses our identity in order to serve our employees? That's not how it works. Jesus' kingdom, it is. Jesus is the leader. And what did he say about himself? I did not come to be served, but to serve. What did he tell his boys when they were all fighting about who was the best? The Gentiles lord it over you. All those people out there, they lord it over to you and they're trying to be the alpha dog and they try and to show how good they are and, and this and that and the other, but not so with you. If you want to be the greatest, you want to be the leader, what do you do? You serve. You be the least. You be the least. And it's amazing if we take this into the marketplace where it's supposed to be cutthroat and dog eat dog, how quickly we'll actually gain leverage and traction and influence if we took this right straight into the marketplace. Submission. Submission. Leveraging our identity to serve somebody else. I'm in Europe. I'm in Europe. When I'm a serves Europe, they're beautiful and they're in the right place. When Yura serves Ima, they've become seductive. Leverage our identity to serve somebody else's identity. For those of us that might not be in a situation like yet, like, you know, husband or wife, you know, a lot of singles, but you're looking to get married, this starts now. Starts now. If you're not a leader now, but you, but you think you want to be, and you ought to be, and etc., Serving starts now. It starts now. It doesn't start later. It starts now. It starts now. So, as the band plays, you have something to repent about? Talk to God about? Do you need to talk to a spouse, a child, a parent, a co worker, an employer, an employee? Do you need to do it today, right now? Do you need to get on the phone? Do you need to whisper to somebody? Do we need to repent? Because it is through submission. Remember, what God wants to do in your life is through submission that He fills us with His Spirit. And it's when we repent and start walking in that direction that we experience more and more and more filling of His Spirit. And maybe one of these days, you'll show up to work and you'll start serving people And they'll ask you, are you drunk? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for everything that you've done. We thank you for how you submitted to us on the cross. That your life wasn't about you getting served. That you submitted to every one of us through the cross. And put that way, it's quite amazing, quite unbelievable that you as God would submit to us through the cross. And Lord, I pray that whatever role that we find ourselves in right now, that we don't let our role be our identity, but we let you making us a saint be our identity and that we leverage that for each other. And that it becomes beautiful and that we make the most of this opportunity to serve each other. Move in our hearts. Fill us with your Spirit. It's your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand. If you need to move and do something and talk to somebody, please do it. If you need to pray with somebody, I'm here. Uh, Shelly will be back there. Or grab somebody that you trust and you know. Otherwise, remember, God fills us with His Spirit, so belt this out. It's karaoke night at Crosspoint.